0: That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Chances are some of your favorite jazz musicians and the amazing solos that they play are influenced by the style of jazz that emerged around the 1940s called bebop. Now, bebop was pioneered by musicians like Charlie Parker and Z Gillespie and a host of others with tunes like Moose the Mooch, Relaxing in Camarillo, Anthropology, Ornithology, the list goes on and on, all these amazing tunes that are just wonderful and just the amazing solos that came out of this period. But you may have noticed that playing bebop is quite difficult. It's a virtuosic style of music. It's very hard, but we need to know how to play bebop lines in order to improvise as a jazz musician in a way that is typical of the dialect that is played today. So today's episode, I have a very special guest, member of Team LGS, Brett Pontecorvo on the show to talk about the three pillars of bebop so we can understand it better and you can start soloing over it better as well. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, videos, and a membership all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. That's what we do here in this podcast. I'm here to help you for the next 45 minutes or so. Learn something about jazz music so that no matter what level you're at, beginner, intermediate, even advanced, no matter what instrument you play, whether it's piano, guitar, sax, trumpet, bass, you're going to figure out a a new strategy, something that's going to help give you a breakthrough in your musicianship, in your playing. And we're talking about bebop today. That's a hard style to work around, but it is integrated in all of the way most musicians are playing jazz. Bebop is a huge influence. Uh, starting from the 1940s and on uh, on all the musicians. So we need to learn how to play this style of music and we need to uncover the mysteries. It's very difficult to play some of these bebop heads. They're angular, they're virtuosic, but you can do it no matter what level you're at. And we're here to help you today. Like I said, I have special guest Brett Pontecorvo on the show, and he's going to help us out with that. Uh, We recently came out with a new mini course in our membership, in our Inner Circle membership called Bebop 101. And Brett teaches that. That course. And it is a, an amazing course, like a standing ovation for that course. Um, and so he's going to kind of talk a little bit about some of the tenants in there and stuff that you can take away today, uh, whether you're a member or not, to get a lot out of this. All right. So we're gonna have him on one second. Before we do that, though, of course, today's episode is sponsored by our LGS Inner Circle membership. This is the membership where you get monthly jazz standard studies in our jazz standards club. We learn a new tune every single month. You get all the resources and training that you need to do that. We have access to all of our premium practice program courses, which are actual roadmaps to jazz success, access to all of our 101 courses, including the new Bebop 101 course we just came out with, instrument accelerator courses for guitar, bass, piano, trumpet, and saxophone and also we do monthly live Q&As with me, kind of like office hours. We call it the monthly jazz mastermind, where you can ask any music or jazz-related question to me on a call. It is a lot of fun. The community inside is amazing. All sorts of instruments uh, in our membership. So check it out at ljsinnercircle.com. We'd love to have you join us as a member. You're going to start getting immediate results in your jazz playing, ljsinnercircle.com, and we'll be happy to have you join the jazz family. All right. Here is my talk with Brett Pontecorvo. All right, back on the show is the music production manager from Team LJS, Brett
1: Pontecorvo.
0: Brett, I am stoked to have you on, man. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. Thanks for having me back again. I, like, I always look forward to the, the podcasts. It feels like uh, it's just good to talk through stuff,
0: you know? Well, it's fun because like, you know, the Learn Jazz Standards community, like, I mean, I see you every week, multiple times a week. I mean, we're like in the background hashing out stuff for courses and hashing out stuff for new jazz standard studies for our inner circle members. And like, you're so much a part of what makes Learn Jazz Standards work and function. So I always love when we get the opportunity to bring you forward uh, on the podcast um, and I'm kind of excited too because we're going to be talking about a complicated subject today, uh, bebop, which you've recently, uh, you know, put a course out for us in uh, our inner circle membership. So you know a lot about bebop. You've been studying bebop, i'm um, obviously outside of this course, but I know you've been really diving deep, um, for the production of this. So um, I'm I'm kind of just excited to pick your brain and you know just obviously help everybody in the audience understand how they can become. Uh, an amazing Bebop player and really start making improvement on this side. So let's start with first things first. Um, what the heck is Bebop?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, thanks, Brent, for all the, all the nice things you're saying about me. Um, I'm so happy with all of the Inner Circle stuff. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, Bebop, like, let, let's talk about it. <clears throat> first of all, Bebop is awesome. Um, so if you haven't done bebop before or played around, like stick around and listen to all the stuff we're talking about because um, it just elevates everything else that you do. Whether you're playing other types of jazz or you're playing um, any really style of music, is it just kind of hits all the bases. Um, <clears throat> but bebop is something that came out of jazz dance music. We're um, like 1930s jazz is the style of music. It's made for dancing. It's four on the floor. It is exciting. It's electric. Like, um, and I feel like it catches the vibe of that time.
0: Like Duke Ellington course, and stuff like that is that we're talking about like the swing era, correct? Exactly.
1: Exactly. And, um, you know, it it's interesting because just as there is now, right? Like if you're playing music, like you have friends, and you talk with your friends after or whatever, like, you know, there's the after gig hang or whatever it is that you're doing. And um, and that's what was happening then, right? Like nothing has changed except after gigs during this time, uh, we had something really interesting happen where we started to see um, musicians, namely Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Uh, And after their sessions, they're going and they're playing together, except they're now playing jazz, that same style of music from swing. But they're playing it instead of for dance music, they're playing it for art music. They're playing it for the sake of playing it. It becomes listening instead of dancing. Um, It becomes more angular. It becomes, uh, you know, almost like even harmonically, they're stepping outside of the comfort zones of what is, um, you know, commonly played in the 30s anyway. Um, and it it kind of birthed the Bebop, this whole different style of music.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like I've heard it before, just like jazz historians say that like call those after hours jam sessions cutting sessions, which is yes. kind of like part of I guess the evolution of 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 that swing, you know, danceable style of jazz into this more virtuosic style of jazz because uh, cutting meaning like everybody's trying to one-up each other, basically. Um, they're like trying to like, which is such a, like a, it seems like such a good jazz musician thing, right? You get up they're and deaf. you try to show like how awesome you are. But I think that's kind of like what was happening, you know, from my understanding. And um, that's kind of part of how the music evolved from my
1: understanding. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, what's interesting too, Um, I was actually just having a conversation this morning with a student about this coming out of like the swing era, right. Where music is so foundational, like these dudes were so versed in the foundations Mm
0: -hmm.
1: of jazz of the, like the basic level stuff. They were so versed in what was concrete and basic that when they began to do bebop, they began to do these cutting sessions they were building on top of an already really solid foundation of harmonic understanding of melodic understanding. I mean, they've got hours and hours under their belt. They probably have hundreds of songs under their belt and it, it like gave them a good launching off point. Um, Cause they were so versed in their art, you know, already the the foundations of it.
0: Yeah. And so going from here, like you know, bebop is. Uh, would I mean? How else do you say it other than like it's it's complicated to play? But also, would yeah. you not agree? Like bebop is kind of, um, kind of the baseline jazz language that exists today, and even in modern jazz playing, like that's that's kind of it's it's almost like there's the tenets of jazz language come from bebop. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I I don't even know that I could say it better myself. Everything that we're listening to and experiencing in the jazz world starts here. You know, it's like you can't separate—you just can't separate the music from the history. They're all attached, Um, and anything that we're we're making today is is attached to to bebop and to this time period for sure. Awesome, and so if you haven't really like taken
0: some time to listen to some bebop like i think that's probably important right so we talked about charlie parker being a really important resource um i like to always suggest uh i think it's live at, or jazz at massey hall is is one with the, uh with dizzy gillespie and charlie parker and that that really give you a good idea of like bebop kind of like the origins of it um so i would say like and you would probably agree with me for all learning music that's like step one if you haven't heard bebop or the history the historical context of bebop then that's probably a good place to go
1: yeah. Listen to it for sure. I mean, I think at Learn Jazz Standards, there's a lot of talk around jazz as a language, which, you know, I, we, we kind of come from a similar background in terms of thinking. But jazz is a language. And the only way you learn it, the only well, OK, you can learn languages a lot of different ways. The only way that you internalize it so that you are speaking it and not repeating it or like, you know, copying words off a page is to listen. It's, it's the number one step. It's how you learn a language. Um, and also, it's just good fun. Like, just listen to it and just be, like, amazed by what's happening. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, like, I say that and I actually mean it. Like, when you listen, listen to that music and, like, approach it with a some sort of a sense of wonder. You know, being like, these sounds changed everything. I, I think when you, like, wow. approach bebop listening from that perspective... You know, even if you're like never going to become, you know, uh, super into bebop or a bebop player, when you listen from that perspective, you listen a lot longer because you become attached to the like the larger story of what bebop is. Um, You know, it changed history. Hundred percent, yeah, for sure, yeah.
0: Hundred percent, totally agree. Okay, so we know what bebop is. We know that we should be listening to bebop. Um, Now, the complicated part of the question. (laughs) So how do we actually start playing bebop? Like what's the next step?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, hearing is really important. Also, also learning heads, like learn some bebop melodies, um, because I think the bebop language is hidden in the melodies. And especially in bebop, the lines are very blurry between what is a melody and what is a solo. Right. Um, If you listen to enough bebop tunes you'll start to hear the head repeat during the solo. Um, if you listen to enough Charlie Parker, you'll start to hear Charlie Parker repeat himself. Um, and of course he does, because the things that he's playing are brilliant and, and beautiful and, and interesting and rhythmically complex. Um, but, you know, it gives it, you know, it lifts the curtain a little bit because he's writing these melodies. He's writing these heads um, and they're coming out of, you know, his reach position, you know, he's trying to push forward and, um, yeah, so you're, you're getting the language, the bebop language caked into the bebop melodies. Um, that answer the question?
0: Yeah, that answers the question. So, <laughs> so when you say, so bebop heads, you're I, am I getting this right. You're kind of saying those are kind of like the, the bebop heads themselves are almost like solos. That's kind of like the language itself, just more in a kind of more structured way. Is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, They're they're mini solos. um, And they feel that way too. When you work on them, you're like, oh, wow, that challenged my technique. Um, Or at least that's how I feel a lot
0: of times. I mean, I was going to say, that's exactly (laughs) how I feel. I'm always like, how the heck do I actually play that? Uh, I guess I have to play that like a thousand times to get that right.
1: (laughs) You know what else is noteworthy about learning these heads? Like sometimes you'll see like there are multiple different versions of melodies. Like... Um, between different recordings of the same song, but then also between different like real book versions or different notated versions. And if you're like super into music notation like me, you'll find this very interesting because, um, dude, some of these rhythms are hard to write. Yeah. And, And I think it's because it doesn't come from typical rhythm. It comes from something that they were creating. So sometimes it's hard to... Put it in a box. You have to listen to it and feel it and internalize it because it is really about speaking the language. Um, just the rhythmic complexity of the whole thing.
0: Awesome. Okay, yeah. so so learning some heads. Um, do you recommend? I mean, this is kind of more of like a, a basic philosophy of learning jazz. Like, well, how do you recommend learning heads?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I mean, you got to learn by ear, right? For sure. But listen, not everybody is there. Okay, so if yeah. you're not there, right? If you're like. I can't learn this by ear. Use everything you have available. So use your ears, use a slow downer app. Um, I love the amazing slow downer, but use what you have. Um, if you need to use a chart, there's no shame in using a chart, um, but just be double checking everything against the recording to make it historically correct. You, you know, like you have to set the, set the odds of your life so that you're most likely to win. So right. if learning bebop is important to you, and you're like listening to this podcast, and you hear you know me saying, "Hey, learn this by ear." But you're not there yet. Well, like start where you are. That they, you know, pick up a chart if you need to. But learning by ear is probably best. Um, you know, slow it down and then go from there.
0: Right. I love that you just said that. I mean, I think you were actually saying that to me when our conversation last week or something like that. Yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. about setting. You You can set yourself up to win every single time. It's right. just where are your expectations right because if you're if you're if you're someone who hasn't learned a lot of melodies or anything by ear really then expecting yourself to learn the head of uh of a of of a bebop tune that could be a a pretty tall order (laughs) um so even just learning one one bar of that is a great start before before going to a chart and reading it would you agree with that
1: absolutely and listen in you know in music we're just we're kind of walking through this journey um you know i you know now however many years playing music have grown so much and it's really just a side effect of consistent time and effort um but it's you know it's nothing alien it's like you know wherever you are listening to this whatever skill level you're at listening to this like you're just kind of walking it out, so just keep walking, um, and you know, little wins, little progress, um, they add up. They they all add up. And and like you're saying, if you learn one bar, well, you just practice learning one bar. Maybe next time you'll be capable of learning two bars. Because um, yeah, everything builds on top of everything else. Um, yeah, I, I get pretty passionate about setting yourself up to win because I think it's the number one pitfall of learning any music um is like you know you have this expectation that you're going to be able to play you know the whole solo off whatever in you know two weeks and i'm like why is it that important like why not just do something that you know you can do do it 200 times get good at it and then you know then maybe you can learn the whole solo i I don't know
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. we're on the same page. Um, what about like uh, before we move on, like the next step, right? Because I I feel like so far, like step one is like listen to bebop. Step two yeah. is learn a bebop head. Before we go to the next one, let's talk about maybe some bebop heads people could actually learn. Um, yeah. do you have if you have the top of your head, and I'm happy to jump in on some too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would say the most idiomatic is that the word I'm looking for. Like the uh, yeah. most bebop ish head that i can think of is confirmation um, yeah but you know i learned ornithology i think was my first bebop head yep uh, and i really liked it um
0: it's a contrafact of uh, how high the moon
1: yeah yes yes um what's the other one that's like that but da do better that bebop
0: um, um that is um oh that is is that uh no no that's that's olio that's olio that's that's that, that's I think olio is technically also uh, would you could you consider that a bebop head too yeah for
1: yeah sure. um I, so I guess those those would be my first two suggestions did, did you have any you wanted to add to that
0: <laughs> yes I do um yep. I, I scrapple from the apple is a great tune yeah. that could be yep. uh, th- that's a good one to do um Donnelly is like a crazy one, right? But it has to be mentioned that that is that is that is uh, another you know bebop head that is just like the bebop bebopiest bebop Bebop head.
1: For Donnelly, like you should learn Donnelly. Like it should just be under your hands. People play it so ridiculously fast. You don't have to play it that fast. Play really slow. (laughs) Just yeah, learn it at a speed because there are some lines in there that are so. Bebop, um right. so it's worth having under your hand. Sorry to cut you off, but I think that's important to mention. Like, it doesn't have to be blazing fast; it can be at your speed.
0: No, no, that's all good. I, I was trying to think of like y- some blues that are, you know, would be good to learn some bebop heads too. Like Cheryl is is a good one. Cheryl, it's a Charlie Parker blues head. um Chichi for uh, blues for Alice. Yeah, blues for we actually studied blues for Alice in our jazz standards club in the inner circle membership. Um, Chi Chi is another uh it's another bird blue. We call it a bird blues. Blues for Alice is like a blue a bird blues. That's an alter alteration to a blues. And Chi Chi is another one. Um we Dexterity is another good tune to learn. Um let's maybe go for one more here off of my list. Uh Relaxin at Camarillo is a good one. So if, any of those that we just mentioned here. Um, you know, maybe just pick one or two and listen to them, and try to find one that could be a good option for you to learn that you think would be a good uh, entry point.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny as you're listing them off. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Oh oh yeah, that like that. Anyway, but the reason for that is they're all good. Like, yes, they're yes. they're all unusually good, which I think is something else special about bebop. Like, it's it's so its own thing that every bebop tune you pick up is exciting and interesting and and also it has this like authentic feeling where you're like wow that sounds like the time yeah uh, which is cool it's cool i actually think that's unique about bebop I, I don't know that we always get that in every age of jazz maybe that's my opinion but that's you know what goes through my head when i think about it
0: yeah absolutely i mean there's de- it's definitely very characteristic um so awesome. Okay, so we got some Be- bebop heads to learn. Um, where we go next in just trying to understand bebop? How do we start improvising over it? All that good stuff.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so okay, when we were trying to talk about how to break this down, like okay, so now how do you teach bebop? Right? Like how do I break it down into like pieces that like kind of describe the sound, but then also maybe leave footprints for you to chase the sound down right? We broke it down into three pillars. Um, and these pillars are, are what I decided, what we collectively decided, describe bebop and how to learn it. Uh, maybe somebody else has a different idea about what they are. But <clears throat> for us, it really came down to these three different things. The first one was melodic chromaticism, mm-hmm. which if that's a mouthful, that's totally okay. Like Just to simplify it, the melody is chromatic right so in in their melodies and you can hear it the second you turn it on you'll be like okay I know what they're talking about they're using chromatic passing tones um, so chromatic melodies that's one characteristic um, and we we have some things that we do to practice that should I talk about that now or should I go through the other ones first no
0: go for it go ahead Let, let's just start let's start with the pillar number one so melodic okay. chromaticism like what what so when you, you even said a few words in there that maybe not everybody understands like passing tone so oh, I, sure. you, you can dive yeah. into it right away okay. Go
1: for it. okay yeah so so let's just take like a major chord um so like right now i'm playing an f major chord um which you know it's a bit of a jazz voicing here right but basically every chord has some parts to it so if we break it down really simple we have a one a three a five and a seven so i could play one two three or fga which sounds very diatonic, and that word means from the major scale, right? But the melodic chromaticism element has approach tones that are chromatic, or sometimes we do upper and lower neighbors. So, okay, approach tones might mean instead of playing F-G-A, I play F-G-G-sharp-A, mm-hmm. right? So, and when you hear that, that G-sharp kind of sticks out a little bit. You're like, oh, something there is a little bit different, Um which is what you feel like when you're listening to a head. And then the other way we can practice that is, uh, enclosures. So like you start above, uh, well, okay. Like we'll pick a note. So third of a chord. So we're thinking an F, the third of an F major chord is a. So, uh, in enclosure, we could do diatonic, which would be one note above a one note below a, and then a itself. So in the key of F, flat which has one particular type of, Um, but then we could also do it chromatically, which would be above by a half step and below by a half step, mm-hmm. um which mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit more like bebop. And you can actually take a whole tune and work through it. So like at the beginning of confirmation, uh, we start on f and then we have uh, minor two five to d's, so, uh, e minor seven, flat five, a seven. So you might say like, hey, I'm going to practice these chords, but I'm going to practice them by doing chromatic approach tones. So you might like uh, start on your F and go, which is uh, B flat G, G sharp A, right? And now I'm going to that minor chord, that E minor seven flat five, and I might do the same on that third. So I'll do my F and then I'll do
0: I mean, that already sounds like bebop right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I'm like, I played that so fast and didn't explain it. But basically what's happening there is I'm I'm uh, I'm targeting the thirds. So that's my A7 targeting the C sharp. Um, and then targeting the F by using upper lower neighbor, which again is just sort of a fancy term for like isolating, uh, a note by starting above going below and then hitting it or starting below going above and then hitting it. Um, so that's like, you know, an exercise that you might do to develop that melodic chromatic sense. Um, but when you listen to melodies, they're everywhere. Right. Um, so like we, we picked this word, but like when you listen to, uh, okay, like the, beginning, like the, the, there we go there. note, but that's, that's, Coming right up to that G. So that's just the beginning of
0: confirmation, the head.
1: Right. So we're talking about this thing, and I'm saying an exercise here. But the reason I'm doing that is because when you look at a sampling of bebop heads, we see that demonstrated. Yeah. So that's, you know, sort of like a controlled way to practice getting that in your mind and in your hands.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So melodic chromaticism—that's like just one tool that I know that you cover in our course and stuff like that. Um, so okay, awesome. So that's that's pillar number one. Is there anything else to say about pillar number before we move to the number two?
1: Um, <clears throat> you know what? Yeah, the, this is what I'll I'll add about pillar number one is that this exercise is helpful and essential for any song. Yes. Um, But especially bebop, it's really caked into bebop, but any song you're learning, any jazz tune you're learning, if you're trying to improvise, if you stopped the podcast right now, which you shouldn't do, but if you did (laughs) and you practiced this thing, you would see improvement because this is uh, a really good way to make your solos sound like they relate to the chords.
0: And I have one actual actual question before we move on to to number two. Um, So when we're when you were doing those enclosures, so uh, either a step above or a step below, you were targeting a note, correct? Yeah. Like it's that's why we call them enclosures. You're targeting a note, and when you play just like the beginning to confirmation, I was like, wow, that already sounds like bebop. Like, and all you're doing is playing these patterns, basically. What's a good note to choose to target in the chord that will make it sound as good as it did, um, even just doing that exercise that you just did?
1: Yeah. So almost always your best go-to is the third or the seventh. Yeah. Um, so that's where I would start. Awesome.
0: Okay. Third yeah. or seventh. Yeah, because those are just really strong chord tones that really kind of define the difference between one chord to the next.
1: Exactly, and listen. There are times where you do it on other chord tones, but if you're like, if you're in a place right now where you don't know which note to target, start there, right? And then like leave yourself room to maybe experiment with other chord tones. But three and seven is where you should be starting for sure.
0: All right. So uh, pillar number one, the melodic chromaticism. So what's pillar number two?
1: So pillar number two is altered harmony, um, and I think this is particularly important to think about like through the context of where it's coming from so so like jazz harmony right swing harmony did have extensions um and maybe here and there an alteration but mostly extensions so okay let's talk about those two words right An extension um is sort of like uh, what am I saying that backwards? Okay, no, you got it. Yep, I got it. okay. So, an extension is anything sort of above the seven for me, so like a nine, right, or a 13, it's just a number. Whereas, an alteration is taking that number, say like a nine, and making it sharp or a sharp 11 or a sharp 13. So, kind of what it sounds like an alteration is changing the sound of a note in the chord. Um, so this altered harmony right is like uh all of a sudden we have a flat five where we have a sharp five um and if you're a jazz musician now you're like well that's in every song right but that wasn't necessarily the case when this music was being made it was like wow that's new that's a different sound that's unique um so yeah so altered harmony that's the second pillar.
0: And not just, I guess, in the chords itself, right, of the music, but also just in the way the soloists were approaching each chord. Like in a dominant seven, like the five chord going to the one chord, they're hitting the flat nine and the sharp nine and different, like, they're they're emphasizing different altered notes, extensions within the harmony itself to create more color and movement.
1: 100%. And like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, did the soloists start using some you know, altered notes within their scales. And then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, these chords should maybe also be altered. Or was it like, Hey, we're going to alter the chords. And then as a result of that, the solo started changing, you know, I'm not really sure, but what it did do sort of as a result, as we're seeing a lot more tension resolution, a lot more um, push and pull, um, which is, is interesting. It's definitely like a characteristic part of um Of the sound, you know, it's like, like the most bebop lick, I think is like, you know, the two, five, one, like, um, it goes like, right. I'm like, what is one lick that defines bebop? That's the first one that comes to my head. Can you play that
0: lick again? Just so everybody can, can hear it again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so, so what makes that an altered, an altered lick?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. So um, this is a two five one. We're in the key of B flat right now, C minor, F seven, uh, B flat, and for C minor, nothing is altered, right? So I'm playing a C E flat F, and F is the root. But then I have this sound, and basically, what it is that's the flat nine and the sharp nine, and we're using that sort of as a way to build tension that resolves then back down to that F. Just is why that's altered as opposed to using notes that are more diatonic. Right, right. Um, and then there's like, you know, the altered scale, right? We could talk about that as well. Like the... Um, I think I always get this one wrong. The beginning here being that flat nine, that sharp nine, which actually is I find what people are hitting, or at least when I've been transcribing, that's where people are living. That flat nine, that sharp nine um, tension resolution thing that's happening.
0: Yeah. Awesome, totally. So, just emphasis on all those different notes are happening within the 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 soloists themselves there, and it's almost like until, like tell me if you agree with this. Like, and I, we were kind of hitting on it a second ago, but it, it's sort of like even if you were to pull up like a real book lead sheet, you, like it doesn't necessarily say like um you know a seven altered to D minor, but it's almost like beboppers just started assuming. That like, just it just was almost assumed that if, like, you see an A7 chord that's going to a D minor seventh chord, it's likely the pianist or the guitarist or whatever the comping instrument they're probably going to play some sort of altered iteration of that chord. And a soloist might often consider adding some kind of altered iteration into that to, to create that tension and resolution. Like, that's kind of the big difference here,
1: 100%. And yeah, it's, it's assumed it's always an option and it's also like um it's also an option in both directions so like it might not say a7 altered um so the piano player might not but then maybe the soloist does right and that's also part of the sound
0: right absolutely yeah you just because the, <laughs> the, the piano player is not doing doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or just because the soloist is not doing it doesn't mean that the comping instrument can't do it i mean
1: Right, exactly, and then the other thing that's unique and interesting is that um you know this this concept of sort of altered harmony starts to very much brush up against the idea of melodic chromaticism. Right, because you know if we think about um, um, trying to th- so like okay so like um uh, what I'm playing there is is like. Uh, it's over an f seven chord, um, and the approach is towards uh, the third of b flat seven. But it's almost like I am chromatically approaching the f natural, right? Um, or even like um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of where else I've seen this. Well, okay, I guess the heart of what I'm getting at is when you begin to use chromatic approach tones, you end up, with the altered extension. So in the example at the beginning, what I'm getting there is my sharp nine, my G sharp, right? Uh, Well, it doesn't matter what key I'm in, but if this is an F7 chord, I have that A flat, which is coming from the idea of uh, melodic chromaticism. I'm still getting the altered tones.
0: Right, right. Uh, so yeah. they they so, kind of come as they're they're two separate like like theoretical concepts we're talking about here, but they also share the same uh, identities with each other. That like if you're using an, an approach tone, chromatic approach tone to the third, you could be playing right. You could be playing a, 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 an altered extension to get there, basically.
1: Exactly, exactly. And um, there's something beautiful about that because it's it shows you how deeply rooted the chromatic approach tone and the altered harmony is that they line up with each other so clearly. And actually that was the biggest thing I learned making this course was that the chromatic approach altered harmony, uh, they very much are related um, and practicing one will improve the other. Um, And so you should practice both, but like, they they bump up against each other so much um, that it's almost like one of them created the other, but probably both got created at the same time.
0: Right. Yet you can you think you can think about them separately as different concepts, which I think was is very interesting when we were coming up with these pillars. Like that was kind of part of 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 what it, of what this is. Like how do you teach bebop? Well, you almost have to look at it from a bunch of different angles to truly understand what makes up the language.
1: Yeah. And the more entry points you have to to anything, yeah, the more yeah. quickly you access it. Right. So, you know, similar ideas, we're thinking of them from a different perspective. But like when you're fluent in a language, you can say, I'm going to the store. I'm heading to the store. I'm going to stop at the store quick. I have to grab something from the store. And I've just communicated the same thing several different ways. Right. But it's right. because I have a level of fluency in English. And it's the same when we approach Bebop we have the more entry points we have to express the same concept or think about the same concept, the more quickly these ideas are going to show up in our playing.
0: Awesome. Love it. So pillar number two is that altered extensions in the, in the harmony. Um, what's pillar number three, our last one?
1: Yeah. Uh, syncopated rhythms, um, which <laughs> I, I love this. I laugh every time I see the third pillar because, well, for two reasons. First of all, There is syncopated rhythm in bebop melodies. And syncopation just means the accent is not on a a downbeat. So what's
0: an example of that?
1: Um, So the beginning of confirmation, two, three, four, and one and. So my accent for the beginning of the head of confirmation is on the and of one.
0: Right. So it's an Uh, offbeat, basically. It's not on one, two, three, or four. It's on the and of any one of those beats.
1: Yes. Yes. But what's funny about it is like the definition of syncopated rhythms is just what you said, right? It's on the upbeat. But then you listen to Charlie Parker and you're like, the the level of rhythmic understanding is so beyond. Oh,
0: it's so heavy.
1: It's, My God. it's so beyond. And you know what? Like, I encourage you to look at a Charlie Parker transcription. No one knows how to write it down. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because he's not playing anything that's divisible by two or three it. So, uh, and I say that like, he's not playing eighth notes or triplets. He's playing something that lives in between. Um, So rhythmic syncopation is the pillar. Um, But I do think when you listen to bebop and you like, you know, kind of sink your teeth into it, you realize that the rhythmic expression is very, uh, very unique and very other. Um, and sometimes doesn't even fit into the accent is on the upbeat. sometimes it's its own thing
0: well uh, i I remember one interesting thing that you were pointing out in the course is that sometimes just the way Charlie Parker, for example, would accent a note that is definitely on a downbeat makes it sound like it's a syncopated rhythm.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. um, and the phrasing is interesting you know something else that's kind of cool that i don't hear as much of now is like these heads often are played in unison by more than one person right yes and it's impeccable yeah like the phrasing is lined up perfectly with every single player everything is accented the same um and it is syncopated but it's almost like part of the head is the articulation or the phrasing Right.
0: Yes. All of the the above. So what's something that people can do to just start getting a handle of that?
1: Yeah. um, Well, okay. I'll tell you how I've approached it in the past. Um, So the rhythms for bebop are hidden in bebop melodies. Right. So if you're learning bebop melodies, then you are learning bebop rhythms. But I actually think it takes another level of intentionality to access them. Right. So like playing the melodies is going to give you harmonic language, but stopping to think about the rhythm that accompanies it separate from the melody has added benefits Right, because you're you're, like, I'm a piano player. Right. And so I think I, I have, uh, I I, I've had opportunity to play things that are very rhythmic. Um, so it sort of gives you, I think a, a bit of a leg up, but if you're just a melody player, you're probably a master of melody, but if you just stop and tap a rhythm out on a desk and listen to what it feels like when you tap out just to the rhythm to confirmation or just to the rhythm to ornithology or scrapple from the apple or a- any of the ones that you you listed off at the beginning, you're accessing a different part of your mind. And you can actually you know, construct pretty convincing sounding bebop solos starting from the viewpoint of, hey, this is a rhythm I heard in a bebop tune um, cause it is so essential to the bebop sound.
0: Awesome. So let me yeah. see if I can do like a little recap of, of everything that we've talked about here to give people yeah. more of a cohesive idea of what they can start doing. So, um, number one is, is listening to, to bebop, right? Um, yep. start listening to the music, make sure you are familiar with the sounds of it. Uh, number two is start learning some bebop heads. Um, and then we have the three pillars. So here's something I want to ask you a question actually before we keep going. Um, if there was only one thing, only one thing they should do, Mm. you know, forget about the pillars, forget about all this stuff. What's the one thing that they should do? Um, I I, I'm setting you up for this answer because I know the, (laughs) I know the answer, (laughs) but I think it's appropriate to talk about it now.
1: Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, the number one thing is learn bebop heads. If you did nothing else, that's the answer. Um, But the reason why it's the answer is because we have to just get steeped in language. Um, It's jazz, but bebop, but all jazz. It's it's a language. It is a language. We're not just reading music off a paper, which is an art. That's an art and respect to people who are taking written music off a page and making it come alive. That's not what's happening here. We are internalizing a particular type of expression that we are playing in real time the same way that we have a conversation. So the only way to become good at speaking is by listening and and repeating it. Um, So learn melodies. Learn melodies.
0: And I think the other added... to part to that is that once you've learned a a bebop head, that's exactly when you could start looking at the three pillars and trying to break it down. So again, those pillars are melodic chromaticism, pillar number one, pillar number two is altered harmony, and pillar number three is syncopated rhythms. And so within those bebop heads, you can also start to analyze it and break it down into more theoretical constructs to help you practice the isms um, that are bebop.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, And, you know, being aware of it is half the game, you know, because once we can attach an idea to something or we can attach a label to something, we process it much faster. So if you're able to say, hey, I know that one of the pillars is melodic chromaticism and then you learn a lick and you say, hey, this is where the melodic chromaticism is, then your brain can process that whole thing just with the idea of melodic chromaticism. And it makes it a lot faster and a lot easier to access it. Uh, it brings it closer to home. So taking a look at what you're learning through these lenses, um, it has, it has uh, I think, helpful effects on your ability to recreate them when it's your turn to do it.
0: Yes. Love it. I mean, I could not have said that better myself. Um, And that's part of what makes you such a great teacher, especially the way you taught our Bebop 101 course. Just an excellent job. And uh, one of those courses where I I learned a lot just going through it. So thank you so much for that. And uh, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show again uh, and sharing all of your incredible musical uh, genius and wisdom with us. Uh, We'll definitely be having you on the show again in the future.
1: Wow. Thanks so much, Brent. Appreciate it. Can't wait to come back.
0: All right. That's all for today's show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Another big thanks to our guest, Brett Pontecorvo, for laying it down, uh, taking a complicated subject and helping us start to make some sense out of it. Again, in our Bebop 101 course, uh, uh, available exclusively for our Inner Circle members, um, he really goes in depth on this stuff, but also gives you actual things to practice because, I mean, that's really what matters at the end of the day. We talk about the three pillars, but if we don't actually figure out a way to put that into action, then we're not going to get the results we want. So do check that out, ljsinnercircle.com. That's where you can check out the membership if you are not a member already. If you are a member of the Inner Circle, uh, definitely try to fit that one into your schedule at some point because I think it's going to be really enlightening for you and uh, uh, you'll learn just a ton from going through just that course alone. Uh, All right, we're going to be coming out with another great episode of the podcast next week, of course. But until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast. Brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at
1: LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.